Well, hello. Before we get the podcast underway, I just want to say that I would like to know what sort of things you'd like me to do on this podcast, the Don't Be an Edict, uh, in the second half of 2023 and, and beyond. So I'm running a survey to ask you just that. It won't take you long to do. Please go to the 9pmedict.com slash the survey. Really hard, right? The 9pmedict.com slash the survey. And please do so before the end of June 2023 uh, to have your input. Because if you don't tell me what you like, I'll, uh, I'll be off the fucking leash. Fucking feral I will be. The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language politics, bad opinions, and Americans. Too many stupid fucking Americans. Saturday, the 17th of June, 2023. Happy Icelandic National Day to all who celebrate, marking the day Iceland achieved independence from the Kingdom of Denmark in 1944. Well, it's been a while since I've been with you, so let's just get on with it. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm death of political journalism. And also, happy birthday to American singer-songwriter Barry Manilow, who turns 80 today. I am very pleased, very, very pleased, in fact, pleased beyond compare that Number 10 Downing Street has chosen to republish the magnificent, truly magnificent one-minute video celebrating the achievements of UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak during May. What a month it's been, kicking off with the coronation. It was a once in a generation event, from the big lunch to the big half out, and of course the big day itself. This month, like every month, the PM has been relentlessly focused on delivering your priorities. Inflation down. The Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund praised the authorities in the UK for acting decisively to bring down inflation. Growing the economy. Reducing debt. Saying that the UK is not going to face a recession this year. Cutting waiting there. Pharmacies are so important to local areas. They make a huge difference to people's lives. I saw that growing up firsthand. Stopping the boats. To cooperate across borders and across jurisdictions. To end illegal migration and stop the boats welcoming our friend President Zelensky to check us. Crazy month. That was a rewind. We'll see you in the next one. Yeah, crazy month. That's uh, P.M. Rishi Sunak to May Rewind. Narrated by one of the UK's heaviest users of Ketamine. You really do have to click through and see the video because that's quite a, <laughs> that's quite a remarkable thing. Um, and look... Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I do, on the podcast website, link to all the things I mention. Well, nearly all of them, most of them. And certainly, I'm going to link to that. I think that's probably going to be one of the few cheerful things uh, that we talk about today. So much fucking shit is going on in the world. It is really bad right now. Um the drag queen and anti-trans thing in the United States has been getting me down, although I, I do see that, that some courts are starting to say that, that the way you dress is like a free speech issue and therefore those restrictions on what clothes a bloke can wear are, are unconstitutional. God bless America. And it depresses me because the whole anti-trans thing really is what the Nazis did. And I know, you know, someone, you know, so many of you listening now are going to go, oh, Godwin's Law, Godwin's Law, he compared them to the Nazis, you lose. Well, Godwin's Law was invented by Mike Godwin, an American lawyer, and on this very podcast in 2018, he explained Godwin's Law. 
I created Godwin's Law because I noticed in online discussions in the very early days of pre-internet online discussions, people kept comparing each other to Hitler or to Nazis when they got mad enough. And so I created Godwin's Law, which says, uh, as an online discussion continues, the probability of a comparison to Hitler or to Nazis approaches one. Uh, and and there I, I tried to make something sound scientific. Of course, it's it's not scientific. It's not falsifiable. But I I wanted to say uh, sort of communicate subtly to people who were communicating, talking, and dissing each other online that when they were. Uh, uh, escalating the rhetoric to comparing people to Hitler or to Nazis, they were acting predictably like a rock falling downhill, that they were, you know, not even acting as if they had free will. It was inevitable because I knew that uh, human beings uh, are what they are, and they would say, I'm not predictable, I refuse to. <laughs> I refuse to follow the normal pattern and compare people to Hitler or to Nazis, because that would just make me uh, be another instance of Godwin's Law. And it worked a little bit for a while. <laughs> it's, it's been, um, I will say, uh, you, you may get annoyed by this too, but it's been misinterpreted as this kind of, as soon as you do compare anyone to Nazis or fascism, that you have lost your argument. And I, I don't think that was your intent, was it? No, it, it, that was a, a mutation. You know, sometimes you have, uh, when you have mimetic uh, engineering, you have a mutation uh, on the internet, and not every mutation is, a, you know, positive from a, from a health standpoint. But certainly some people have said Godwin's Law means that if you bring up Hitler or Nazis it's the end of the discussion. But, you know, it could just be the beginning of the discussion, especially if your comparison is thoughtful and grounded in history. Uh, and I uh, wholly disavow anybody's invocation of Godwin's law to, to uh, shut up someone who wants to compare, for example, President Trump to a fascist or, or make any other uh, deleterious comparison. That's, that's fine. There's no rule against it. And Godwin's law doesn't prohibited either you uh, are on record in fact of uh, again allowing this usage in uh, discussions of australia's uh, not exactly generous immigration policy uh, because we do in fact run concentration camps by any reasonable definition of the words and people they say oh it's not that I said, no 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 and i'm saying death camps right but so, they are concentration so, camps. Of course they're concentration camps. I think that uh, any external uh, developed country would say, oh, yes, they're concentrating the people they don't want in a camp. That is a concentration camp. And that's what concentration camps originally meant. That's what the term originally meant. Uh, and uh, it's still inhumane. It's still uh, uh, rotten to do, especially when you're dealing with immigrant populations who may not have had control of their destiny to get to where they are. So that was five years ago, 2018. Godwin's law is still very much a thing, and it is still very much not some weird lose of your argument to compare people's actions to the actions of Nazis when they are literally doing just that same thing. I've linked on the podcast website to uh, to a recent article uh, with some of the, the more recent discoveries of just how much anti-trans stuff was happening in Nazi Germany and as part of the ideology, uh, ideology of the time. All that said, I sometimes think some of the reactions from the MAGA types and the conservative politicians uh, is particularly weird. I've linked to another news story that Tony the Tiger, Tony the Tiger. Okay, in America, Kellogg's make a thing called Frosted Flakes. In Australia and some other places, they're called Frosties. And the mascot of this sugar-coated breakfast cereal is Tony the Tiger. Well, the Tony Awards, no relation, I assume. The Tony Awards for musicals handed out by Tony the Tiger. Oh, that, oh, <laughs> I'll watch them if that's the case. Anyway, a photo turned up of Tony the Tiger taking a selfie with Dylan Mulvaney. Now, Dylan Mulvaney is described as a transgender influencer. Apparently, 
the Tony Awards, they don't have a red carpet. They have a magenta carpet. That's not relevant. I don't know why I said that. But apparently now uh, some of the conservatives are saying that it's it's time to cancel Kellogg's. It is time to boycott Kellogg's because Tony the Tiger stood with a transgender person. Like, you can't catch it, mate. You're not... It's not like Tony the Tiger will catch transness from Dylan Mulvaney and then it somehow gets into your breakfast cereal. That's not how trans happens. Enough on that topic. I'm going to skip the whole Trump thing. As you all know, Donald Trump is in the news and it's all moving so fast. Uh, this will be out of date probably by the time I finish even recording this, but he's gone, mate. Trump is gone. Also gone, Boris Johnson. Yes, the former Prime Minister of the UK, accused of lying. It, well, not accused of lying. The, the Parliamentary Committee found that he had lied repeatedly. In He's a lying liar who lied. He's going to have a go, another go at uh, running for... Mayor of London, according to The Independent uh, and according to one of Johnson's former aides, Guto Harry, uh, they say, yeah, bid to oust Sadiq Khan, the, the current Mayor of London, would be, quote, a great idea. Uh, Mr Johnson, Mr Johnson, Boris, Boris has also been revealed to be the new Saturday columnist at the Daily Mail, which they were describing as their new and I use this word because they used it, erudite columnist. He's uh, being paid something in the high six figures of pounds, which is really about the same as the high six figures of dollars these days. And uh, you're saying, well, Rishi Sudak, he's a PM, he may, he may, this new columnist, have to cover politics from time to time. I mean, good heavens, good heavens, a former prime minister of the UK and serial liar Covering politics. It, it is worth remembering that Boris Johnson uh, has a history in publishing as a, quote, journalist, unquote. He was sacked uh, by the Times because he made up quotes. He just made them up. Just made them up. <sighs> so there's that. Boris. Watch out for more Boris. Uh, and the whole Ben Roberts Smith war crime thing has been in the news and all of the stuff in Parliament House about sexual misconduct. That's such a neutral term, isn't it? Sexual misconduct. It's like slightly awkward sex. I'm not going to go into any of that. It's too depressing. Uh, let's, let's get on with it. I was uh, shocked this week to, to learn that before the year 2015, which is just eight years ago, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, did not run proper political coverage from Canberra. Wait, and I can hear you going now, what, what the fuck is this cunt on about today? All right, let's, let's wind back a bit. The other day nearly two weeks ago now, the, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, released its five-year plan headed towards a digital-first ABC. And then this week, as, as part of you know, working towards uh, the goals of that plan, some 100-and-something redundancies announced jobs you know, that no longer would be there. And that's quite a lot. But the one that occupied the attention of nearly all the other journalists in the country was, was the fact that Andrew Probin, who had the job title political editor in Canberra, was made redundant. And there was much wailing and gnashing of teeth and Andrew Probin, he's a really good journalist and he breaks stories and he's a nice guy and... This is the death of political coverage and how dare they, etc., etc., etc. Now, an important note for the heart of thinking here. I am not making any comment whatsoever about any individual skills, personality, their value to the organisation, etc. 
nor upon the wisdom of any specific employment decision. This is merely a plea to just kind of actually get your head around what's going on here. Right? So I'm not saying what's happening is good or is bad. I'm just explaining what is. And you can decide for yourself whether you like what's happening or not. That's how, that's how this works. But you need to think. You need to get those little neurons in your fucking head working before you go off like a headless fucking chook because there's been too much of that this week. Right. The reason I mentioned 2015 is that that's when this job, political editor, was created. There was no job called political editor in Canberra until 2015. So clearly, if you think taking this job away is destroying the ABC's political coverage, then it didn't have any until 2015 because this job made it happen. No, no, no. It's... It's a, a rearrangement of how things work, perhaps a rearrangement of the deck chairs uh, as the ABC disappears. I don't know. We'll find out. But here's what actually happened. In 2015, the ABC created a job for Chris Ullman, who's a bit of a oh, – well, how, no, I'm not making comment – who I personally am un unimpressed with, and perhaps I'll explain why. But in 2015, Chris Ullman – was given a job called political editor in Canberra. And I've linked to a story explaining that. He had been political editor for 7.30, the evening program, and he'd been with the ABC's Canberra team for eight years before that. And his job was to report across, quote, all ABC broadcast and digital outlets. So from 2015, he got this fancy title, political editor, so that he'd get his face on the box and and say what the talking points were and 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 what to think about it. Now, when he went over to Channel Nine uh, in twenty seventeen, taking on the role of I think chief political editor there or whatever, that was Laurie Oakes had that job, like the sphere of influence, as he was called, because he was influential and round, large man. One of these Australia's great political journalists. And, you know, whether you think Chris Ullman was, was a suitable replacement or not, I'll let you decide. I would not want to influence you in any way by reminding you that Ullman was anti-renewable energy and seemed to be under the impression that this caused blackouts uh, in South Australia and other places. Nor will I remind you that... Uh, uh, he believes in the cultural Marxist uh, conspiracy theory, which is one that says that Western universities have been infiltrated by uh, Jewish slash communist uh, influences to, to turn us all left wing. And, and nor will I uh, remind you that he was married, well, I think still is married, but certainly uh, she was at the time, a sitting politician. Now, in any other business... I would have thought, particularly journalism, being being actually married to one of the people that you're meant to be investigating slash reporting on would be a clear and obvious conflict of interest. But not in political journalism, and certainly not with Chris Ullman, and certainly not at the ABC. So I won't remind you of any of that. You are free to make your own judgments about Chris Ullman. Anyway, when he went to Channel 9, this job was now vacant, so Andrew Proben was hired from the West Australian, the newspaper in Perth, to fill the job. And by all accounts, he's done it well, you know, well enough, no complaint. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't watch this sort of television news, but it's, it's a job. Now, in this new structure... They don't have this role. Oh, no, that means there's no political editor in Canberra. How will they know what's happening in politics? Well, uh, the ABC's made several points along these lines. One is that uh, in documents seen by Guardian Australia, uh, they say the ABC's Canberra Parliament House Bureau has an outdated top-heavy structure still largely focused on linear television broadcast. All right, that's an argument. 
I don't know whether that's you know an accurate judgment or not, but that's that's the reason given. And then uh, when all this kicked off, the ABC did point out again, yes, this job was created in 2015 uh, at a time when the majority of our audience was primarily serviced by the 7pm news on television. Now, they've taken away this job called political editor, but they still have in Canberra a job called editor, politics and deputy editor. So it's like, wait, wait, what? And then there's also the Canberra bureau chief. It's like, and the, and the journalists and the ABC goes on to say, the ABC's Canberra Parliament House Bureau has more than 20 political reporters and editors, including numerous highly experienced journalists who would continue to lead our extensive blah, blah, blah. And then there's a whole lot of names. There's, you know, I won't list them all, but there's plenty of them. And then there's other journalists that cover various federal issues who are not in Canberra. So they've taken away this one role. There still are leadership roles. People who are more experienced in the media will also know that when you call someone an editor, particularly in this case political editor, it's it's really a seniority title. Now, it's often linked to pay scales or prestige or the sense of self-importance of the person filling that role, not mentioning any names, obviously. Someone being called the editor doesn't mean they're in charge. In this case, particularly in Ullman's case, it meant they were given a particular status so that when it was felt that it was a, a big story, well, we now cross to our political editor in Canberra. And it's, oh, 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 this is important now. We must we, we must hear from Chris Ullman or we must hear from um, Laura Tingle has a different role. What's the man's called? I, I wrote it down. I mean, this is how little I pay attention. Andrew Proben. So now... They'll cross to someone else. And and indeed, if what they're crossing to is here to here, you know, this this was the Prime Minister's talking points today, that can literally be anyone. They just need to look at the transcript, run a run a highlighter pen through it and read out the four sentences. That's that's a cadet journalist job. You don't need someone on a six-figure salary to sit in front of a television camera and tell you what the talking points are. I find it interesting that there seems to be more commentary about the things people have said are bad resulting from the ABC's five-year plan than on the plan itself. And I don't know why that is because it's not very long. I read it this afternoon. It's 12 pages. Well, the PDF is 12 pages. You've got a front cover, a back cover, a lot of intro thing. It's, it won't take you long. I've linked to it. There's also a background document of, of 20 pages in the PDF file, which is, which is okay, here's, here's things that are happening in the world and how we view the future and the kind of uh, factors influencing the plan. We're seeing not so much analysis of that and a bit more reaction to how people perceive it. Now, for example, there have been... Uh, some major changes to to arts news coverage, right? Uh, let's find the bit here. I, I mean, just this will give you a chance to go through and download it for yourself, won't it? Okay, so um, I'm reading here um, Esther Anatolides. Uh, she's the the new editor of Mianjin, the quarterly literary journal out of uh, Melbourne University Press. Disclosure. The engine's a client of mine and has been for some years. Um, she writes in The Guardian that the arts are finally on Australia's national agenda. We need the ABC to cover it. Fair sentence. So among the 120 redundancies announced the other day, one was managing editor of the arts and digital editor of the arts. She points out these are two of the most senior dedicated art specialists at the ABC. And the Screen Arts team, they're moving to a new Screen Arts Music and Events department. And the two arts journalist positions that remain are being moved into the digital and innovation team under a division called Content, which she then notes is itself an ugly word. I'll come back to that. So 
what does that mean? Esther's looked at that. I haven't thought that through yet. I have no opinion. Now we've we've discussed about half a dozen of those 120 people who are the rest. What's happening? Let's hear a bit more about that, folks. Not just because some bloke you see on the telly is is going or fucking journalists in Canberra, one of your mates has lost his job. I'm sure his payout will be quite adequate and I'm sure that a journalist of his seniority, skill level, experience and profile will have no problems finding another job. Anyways, of a certain age, you could probably just retire now. You know, why not? Write a book. Get an OnlyFans account. You know, it's, it's really not that tragic, people. Get a grip. As I say... Until 2015, this job wasn't even a thing. While we're looking at the ABC, though, I will say the the, the five-year plan towards a digital-first ABC, there's been some things in that which have really caused people's heads to spin. One of them is, is this sentence. We will consolidate and rebrand some broadcast services as more of our audiences move to digital platforms. And suddenly it's, oh, no, they're going to turn off the radio. What will I do? Well, there'll be some of that. Quote, as audiences take up ABC Audio via digital services, we will be ready to rationalise, oh, they love that word, rationalise our broadcast radio services and align them better with audience needs. We will... Reposition our television multi-channels to increase relevance for broadcast viewers. We will help audiences find and enjoy their favourite ABC content on digital platforms as they make the switch from broadcast. There is a, a term in radio broadcasting called companionship radio. That's your kind of talk radio. That's where you have a presenter with you for three or four hours, however long it might be, and they're your companion as you... Uh, do the washing up, repaint the spare bedroom, drive your tractor around the farm, whatever it might be. And, you know, there's news on the hour. There might be phone-in. Uh, there'll be interviews. There'll be music. There's all that sort of thing. So much of that does not need to be replicated locally. <laughs> and, and quite frankly, so much of it doesn't need to be done at all. Let's look at oh, Double J. So, you know, the ABC has what's you know meant to be the youth-oriented uh, channel, Triple J, on the radio, and Double J harks back to its earlier name, and that's for people who are a bit older, and it's playing their music, Gen X music, to put it bluntly. Putting aside the fact that there's some really quite experienced broadcasters working there, the interviews are great, and so on, I think the ABC really does need to explain why Double J isn't just a Spotify or Apple Music playlist. Now, I know Double J is done really on the cheap, so don't get me wrong, it's not an expensive thing for the ABC to be doing. But does the ABC need to be doing it at all? The comments about linear television are there there too. I, I, I mean, I haven't watched know, a, a 7pm ABC or a 6pm whatever commercial news bulletin in ages. I, I don't want to, you know, it's not appointment television for me. I get my news when I want to get the news. When I get up, when I take a break at the end of the day, uh, I, I look at the headlines online, I read uh, or watch or listen to um, what strikes my fancy at a time that suits me. I'm also much more into slow news. Uh, that is, I listen to stuff on, you know, in weekly programs or, a, you know, a couple of weeks later uh, when a documentary comes out on it or so on. I don't feel the need to grab it right there and then. Now, there is stuff that I think will be important for broadcast, will be important to do in real time. Sport, obviously, because it's it's happening right now. Uh, some political coverage, you know, election results perhaps, uh, you know, or, or do we really need to have people reading out the numbers to us when we come in? We can just pop up a web page with the numbers and then uh, the interviews pop up when they're, they're ready. Um, and something I thought about 
literally decades ago in the first dot-com boom is personalized live streaming or, or near live streaming. RSS, the protocol that podcasts live on, really simple syndication. That was actually invented as a, as a protocol 24 years ago, almost literally quarter of a century. Now, an RSS feed can just be, look, here's an item, here's an item. It can be news. It could be the episodes of a podcast, whatever. But it's just another protocol. You could generate something like that in real time. And if you want a particular mix of, you know, you want your companionship thing and it really doesn't matter whether it's a, a minute or two either way of the time, out it comes. Uh, and your feed then has a slot in it which is news headlines, and that goes for two minutes, and that's uh, a set of uh, predefined audio bits that are assembled to suit your needs. For example, if I did that, I would leave out all sport. I'm not interested in sport. You you can be interested in sport. That's great for you. So maybe you have lots of sport in that break for you, and then it goes back uh, with the interview with the author of the latest novel, or it goes back to the comedy sketch, whatever it is, that you want. Now, there is a problem with that in, in that if, like on the news apps and other things, you say, oh, I'm interested in that, but not that, is that. One, it's not very fine-grained. Uh, two, if you then say, oh, well, if you say what you do and don't like, the AI can learn that. Sure, but then you lose serendipity. You end up in, I hate the word echo chamber, bubble, whatever it is. Uh, so you need some sort of serendipity, that, that sense that, Oh, I hadn't thought of listening to that. That's really good. There's a surprise. Um, emergency, emergency information, obviously that needs to get out quickly. Um, but the vast majority of stuff, this week's Four Corners, well, you just watch it when you want. You, you don't have to have a, a little magic moment on a Monday night where everyone has to watch this now if you want to watch it. Just... Put it up when it's ready. and People can watch it when it's ready. That's already happening in many places at the ABC with the podcasts. Um, this week, the Saturday morning radio show, which is at 8 o'clock on Saturday mornings, well, that's actually recorded and put together on, on Fridays, uh, and they stick it up on, on uh, as a podcast when it's done, and then they go home. Some you know, semi-automated minion on Saturday morning loads it into the system and it, it automatically goes out then. Increasingly, people are listening to stuff on demand. Decreasingly, they're, they're doing so as appointment broadcasting at a, at a fixed time. And really all the plan says in that regard is that We'll, we'll just move from the former to the latter as people move from the former to the latter. Two more things before I finish up this, this little rant hit. One is that, back to the political editor thing, there were a whole lot of people saying, oh, it's like running a restaurant without a chef. No, it's not. You have a whole bunch of cooks and chefs and kitchen hands. All you're saying is that there's there's no longer going to be someone called executive chef, you know, or you, or you're running the kitchen without a celebrity chef, um, you know, it's it, it that political editor, as I said, is a status title. I do want to come back to that word content for this stuff that just fills the space in the media. I've, I've gone on for a bit already, so I'll just say that uh, Esther Anatolides has also uh, pointed to a piece she wrote in 2017 on this about how content has become normalised, this catch-all for, I'm quoting her now, uh, any creative or intellectual work that fulfils the format requirements for regular publication or presentation. She reminds us that it happened in the pre-dot-com bust days, so the first boom, and I hated it then. I was working on one such digital media project, and yeah, content was just what we put into it. It didn't matter what it was, words, pictures, ads, video, it was just content. And, and it was just stuff. 
Of course, as time went on, this became driven by search engine optimization. So it didn't matter what the content was as long as uh, it showed up in search engines and as long as people clicked through. Uh, we're increasingly going to see this stuff then generated uh, by AI, chat, GPT, etc. Uh, well, it's already happening. You know, and, and well, you see this whenever there's, say, an Apple product launch. Every outlet produces something which is, is quick to do. It's just five things you didn't know about Apple Vision Pro, which you didn't know because, of course, it was only announced today and you didn't know them either, but you've just five. There are people who click on that. doesn't matter what it is. It only takes a few minutes to write. It's content. Churn it out. Stick it on Facebook. Tweet about it. People then comment on the tweet, they reply to the tweet. That's just more content, click, click, ads through, whatever. There's a great spot um, on the uh, uh, WNYC podcast on the media last month where they looked at how BuzzFeed was created and then is gone, BuzzFeed news is gone. People always look at BuzzFeed as if it was just you know, listicles and silly quizzes and things. They actually had a real newsroom that did really good stuff. That's a good piece to listen to because it talks about that mentality of just generating traffic and therefore on Twitter, more controversy means more traffic. And and so you end up in this race for just controversy and reaction and things. And the last thing I want to to say about this, and this will be the last thing I say about the ABC today, there's a lot of talk now about, oh, well, you know, what about the older people? They still listen to the radio. Young people don't listen to the radio. Why are you after them? Uh, they're not going to listen anyway. The, 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 the logic seems to be young people currently don't engage with the ABC, therefore the ABC shouldn't be on TikTok because for older people, that's the only young people thing they can think of when they're having a bit of a fucking winch. Now, the ABC is for all Australians, and if the ABC is meant to reflect what we want, we should... Uh, we, I'm not that the, the ABC haven't been for many years. Um, that's, that's the kinds of things the ABC should be doing. Now, I'm not saying ABC should be on TikTok or Snapchat or whatever, but... If people don't want to watch a linear television 15-minute interview with the Treasurer, which is going to be bullshit talking points anyway and a waste of everyone's time, but would like to know what are some important things about the Treasurer's you know, plan for housing that I should know, including, including whether it'll fucking make any difference or not, just tell me. I don't need to set my watch to go to a particular television channel at a particular time. Just tell me. I don't need an introduction. I don't need to pat it out with an establishing shot of people counting money. Just fucking say it. And then we'll all get on with it and watch a TikTok video of... See, even I'm picking on TikTok... TikTok's been really fucking successful, you dickheads. Christ almighty. Headless fucking chooks. Oh, well, that was a bit of a rant, wasn't it? Let's power through the rest of this. Uh, some quick housekeeping. Uh, the next episode of this podcast will, will be in just a few days. On Tuesday, which is 17, 18, uh, 20th, Tuesday the 20th of June, I'm recording a pilot episode with my very good friend, Snarky Platypus, who has returned to the socials after a gap of about two years. Uh, we thought it might be fun to see if uh, we would work together well on a podcast. Uh, if that's any good, um, I'll post it a couple of days after that. Uh, but if you are a supporter with trigger words or a conversation topic to insert into that discussion uh, between Snarky Platypus and myself, whatever it's about, get them to me by 2 p.m. 
Australian Eastern Standard Time that day, so 2pm Tuesday the 20th of June. That does mean the next Public House Forum live recording will be pushed back some weeks. I haven't set a date yet. I'm sorry the logistics are more complicated and I've had a whole bunch of client work which I wanted to really focus on that had hard deadlines. So I'll, I'll let you know about that. Stay tuned. Oh, what else shall I tell you about? I will mention my client Lockstep have posted the another or a couple of episodes of their new podcast, Making Data Better, all about how data works in our digital lives and how we can make it better. Now, I'm only tangentially connected. I did the graphics. So I've provided some commentary uh, to them. Uh, and advice and so on. But look on your podcast app for making data better, if if it's your thing. Let me know what you think, and I'll I'll pass it on. Uh, and, and, yes, I am wanting to know what sort of things you would like me to do in this podcast in the future. I'm running a survey. Go to the 9pmedic.com slash the survey and answer some questions. Um, tell me what you like, what you're not interested in. Um, it, it'll only take you a few minutes and it would really help. That's the 9pmedic.com slash the survey. Uh, and finally, uh, as you know, this podcast is made possible by you, the generous listener. Thank you again to everyone who uh, contributed to the Hardware Refresh. Um, and thank you this episode to Nick Andrew, who shouted me a beer via PayPal uh, back when we were recording um, the, the previous public house forum. So that's great. If you would like to contribute to the upkeep of well, me, really, and this podcast, please go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip. That's the 9pmedic.com slash tip. Yeah, do it. Do it now. Do it now. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. Elephant stamp time. In uh, many episodes of this podcast, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking, and I have five to power through today. Five. And they all go to people in the America. Uh, the first one goes to Candice Taylor, who is the uh, the Republican district chair or a Republican district chair in the state of Georgia. She recently ran for governor of Georgia and uh, she's a flat earther. Here she is uh, from May on, on a podcast at flatearthdave.com. More and more, I'm like, it doesn't make sense. So is it or not? I don't know 100%, but it's just, it doesn't make sense the other way. It, now that you see it. it the people that defend the globe don't know anything about the globe because if they knew a tenth of what Matt and I know about the globe, they would be flat earthers because it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I can't unsee this. All the globes everywhere. I turn on TV. There's globes in the background. There's globes on there right here. Like this would be a globe if I was a normal person. Like everywhere there's globes. You see them all the time. I mean, it's constant. My children will be like, Mama, globe, 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 globe. They're everywhere. And that's what they do the, to brainwash. And so for me, if it is not a conspiracy, if it is, you know, real, why are you pushing so hard everywhere I go, every store, you buy a globe, there's globes everywhere, every movie, every TV show, news media. Why? 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 Explain that to me. <laughs> Loving that. Thank you, uh, Candice Taylor. Next up, I would like to award an elephant stamp to McKinsey, the analytical company who a year ago said that spending on the metaverse will reach $5 trillion in the year 2030. Journalist Dan Newen says, yep. Five trillion. I mean, AI generation is already looking more valuable in the metaverse, so it's hilarious. McKinsey couldn't bother to fake a bigger number this month because they're saying, oh, generative AI can add $4.4 trillion in value to the global economy. So this is where you earn the big bucks. Thank you, McKinsey. Number three goes to... 
Ah, here we go. Steve Malloy from the Energy and Environmental Legal Institute. I'll tell you more about them in a minute. But on Fox News, okay, you know how the United States has had all of those smoke incidents from the wildfires in Canada, what we in Australia called bushfires, right? Smoke blowing down over New York or Washington, all of that. Well, according to Steve Malloy, not a problem. Look, the air is ugly, it's unpleasant to breathe, and for a lot of people they get uh, anxiety over it. But the reality is there's no health risk. Okay, there's uh, EPA research, they've done lots of clinical research on uh, asthmatics, on elderly asthmatics, on children, on elderly with heart disease. Um, not a cough or a wheeze from any of them. We have this kind of air in India and China all the time. Um, no public health emergency. Speaking of, do you, do you notice like in all the coverage of, you know, Bill Ware, the tailpipes, all this stuff, they never ever mention the fact at the top that China is the number one polluter in the world. Never. Yeah, this is like clean air in China. I mean, it's really bad. Uh, you know, they, in the winter, they never turn on their scrubbers for the air pollution because they don't care. Weir has no idea what he's talking about. This doesn't kill anybody. This doesn't make anybody cough. This is not a health event. This has got nothing to do with climate. First off, these, this is wildfire smoke. This is natural. This is not because of climate change. It's, <laughs> it's not amazing. because of a fossil fuel, you know, uh, internal combustion engines. He just has no idea what he's talking about. Um, all day, by the way, it seemed like the media figures that we've become accustomed to seeing on television during these crises, they seemed like they were back in their element and in, in kind of um, almost enjoying the moment of wearing masks, masks <laughs> again, didn't they? They seemed to have a little pep in their step with those masks. Now, they talked about the dangers of something called particulate matter yeah. from the smoke. Here's CNN earlier. Consider wearing a mask, and that is because of the particulate matter in the air. This is among the tiniest, most dangerous kind of pollutants, and it's the kind of thing found in this wildfire smoke. These, are, these, these particles are so small, they can get into the lungs when you breathe them in, get into the bloodstream, and cause all kinds of health issues. Steve, we're back at the masks. <laughs> Ramin Asqui is watching from heaven, by the way. Ramin, I know you are. Go ahead. Yeah, this is crazy. This is all particulate matter, but particulate matter was not a concern until EPA invented it as one in the 1990s, and they've been writing it. You know, the Obama administration, now the Biden administration. Well, what is it's it? Total is it a health total. concern? Part, no, particulate matter is very fine soot. Um, the, well, you don't want just, to be breathing that just, in all well, they're day. They're just carbon particles. They're innocuous. Okay, by them, they're innocuous. There's nothing in them. Uh, they have no effect. EPA has all this testing on real live human beings that shows no effect. This is total junk science. Total. Oh, that was a bit abrupt. Total junk science, says Steve Malloy from the Energy and Environment Legal Institute. And you go, who are they? Well, they were formerly the American Tradition Institute. And they're a coal-funded organisation that's part of a network of climate denial groups fighting greenhouse gas regulations. And indeed, Steve himself was on Donald Trump's transition team, uh, setting up the Environmental Protection Agency connections when Trump became uh, president. Remember that? That was the thing that happened. And uh, I loved, that was on Fox News, of course, the... Uh, the strip at the bottom said lots of stuff, one of them being radical left uses wildfire smoke as climate cudgel. I don't know how you can use smoke as a cudgel. Maybe I should give them an extra elephant stamp for that. Uh, staying, as I said, in the America, we now move on to Representative Elise Stefanik, or Stefanik, who is a proud representative for New York's 21st Congressional District. Uh, she's also a House Republican Conference Chair, and uh, they're, they're, they're fighting the good fight in relation to another uh, uh, nebulous thing. House Republicans are back hard at work delivering on our commitment to America and protecting American families from President Biden and extreme far-left Democrats' bans and burdensome regulation. Since day one in the Oval Office, Joe Biden and his administration have been waging war on American energy. Now they are targeting gas stoves, the preferred cooked-up appliance for tens of millions of Americans. This week, House Republicans will proudly pass the Save Our Gas Stoves Act and the Gas Stove Protection and Freedom Act. Uh, let me just read you the names of those two new laws again. The Save Our Gas Stoves Act and the Gas Stove Protection and Freedom Act. 
Got to love it. Thank you there from Representative Elise Stefanik. Stefanik. And finally, our fifth elephant stamp for uh, of approval for excellence in the category of thinking goes to Larry Jean Gay, who's 70 years old. He's from Springfield, Missouri. Did you know there are 17 different Springfields in the United States? Well, this is the one in Missouri. And Larry Jean Gay has been charged with demanding meat at gunpoint. That is what I said, demanding meat. On April the 18th, the Republic Police Department, uh, there's a little, there's a small town called Republic, population about 20,000 or something. They were called to a price cutter outlet to respond to a call about a robbery in which a man held an employee at gunpoint so that he would be served meat. In an interview, Mr. Gay said he'd gone to Price Cutter to buy steak. He told the good man who was helping him that they needed to weigh the steaks. However, the meat department was closed. Mr. Gay said at that point, he showed his gun and said, Just to say I'm not stealing, I need you here to help me get a couple of these steaks. I'm not going to hurt you. The officer asked Mr. Gay why he thought the people in the store called the police and told him he was threatening them with his gun, and he said, I, I don't know, I have no idea. However, the court documents show that officers responded to the scene and ordered Gay to get out of his truck, of course it was a truck, so they could arrest him after he was taken into custody, an officer removed a loaded semi-automatic pistol with a bullet in the chamber from Gay's hip holster. Demanding meets with menaces. 70-year-old Larry Jean Gay, I, I don't know how that case turned out, but God bless America. And that, dear listener, wraps up our Elephant Stamps for this time. And indeed, that wraps up the whole edict for this time. Please go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip to do the needful and uh, slash the survey to do the survey. The next episode is just days away. I told you about that. Until then, I'm still Garion. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry. <laughs>